Chapter thirteen, verse one. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed. Some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprang up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear? Let him hear. It wasn't unusual for rabbis to speak in parables, and the main reason for the Lord speaking in parables here is simply due to the fact that Isaiah wrote about the people. During the Lord's time on the earth, that were going to reject His message, and therefore His message would be totally foreign to them. In fact, that is why tongues occur in the New Testament, especially during the Book of Acts. The Jews require a sign, and the sign that they get is twofold. The sign can be to lead them to belief. And the sign can also be a judgment against them. Without an interpreter, nobody could understand what was being said by those that had the gift of speaking in tongues. But here, due to Isaiah's prophecy, which once again feeds into middle knowledge, meaning that the prophets would write down what they would see in the future. And depending on how a particular party would respond to whatever light the Lord gave them, that response was penned by the prophets. Middle knowledge—that's the easiest and quickest way for us to comprehend the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. But here the Lord is speaking first and foremost to his apostles and vicariously to the wider audience. Which, for the most part, didn't believe on him, and this chapter echoes that. In fact, this chapter ends with the Lord being unable to perform any miracles, simply due to the fact that the people in Capernaum didn't have any faith to come to the Lord in order to be healed. But more on that later. Ten, and the disciples came. And said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. The apostles were the writers of the New Testament. The church was going to be built first and foremost on the Lord, and then by the apostles. The apostles were going to go out into the world and preach to every man, woman, and child. 
by Romans chapter 10, the gospel had gone to the ends of the earth. So here the Lord is saying, you apostles have been blessed to receive this message. I have chosen you apostles in time, Luke chapter 6, not before the foundation of the world, but during my time here on the earth. 12. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away even that he hath. That's a paradox, if ever I read one. Look at it again. Whosoever has, to him shall be given. So if you have the truth, you will be given more truth, and you should have more abundance. But whoever has not, whoever won't receive it, shall lose even what he already has. In other words, this has been aimed primarily at the children of Israel. They were the chosen people. They already had light to commence with, but even that light would become darkness if they didn't receive Christ as their saviour. 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. Time after time the blame is always put on the recipients. Back to middle knowledge, Isaiah knew that for the most part the people of Israel wouldn't receive this message and therefore they would willfully remain in their sins. Hence why the Lord has just said that they see but they don't really want to see and they hear but they don't really wish to hear. Every unsaved man and woman can view a street preacher, they can listen to an evangelist, they can watch an apologist articulating, explaining, expounding the scriptures, but they willfully choose to reject it and remain in darkness. Therefore, the burden of guilt, the responsibility lies at their door. Look at 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But men love darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Put these scriptures all together, and you have the Saviour weeping over Jerusalem, Chris crossing Israel for three and a half years, preaching to everybody all over Israel and beyond, the apostles travelling land and sea to preach the gospel to every creature, and yet for the most part men love darkness rather than light. We will not have this man to reign over us. Let his blood be on our children. 
we have one king, which is Caesar. Middle knowledge, this was seen, this was written, this was preached by the Old Testament prophets. The Lord Jesus Christ arrives on the earth. He comes unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave you the right to become the children of God. Through their unbelief, through their rejection, judgment has fallen on them. And temporarily, we, the church, we, the born-again sinner, are grafted in. And we, for this dispensation anyway, become the people of God. Once the rapture has been and gone, the Lord returns to Israel. And through the 144,000 Jewish male virgins, he turns his attention back to Israel and also to the wider world. And then the people of Israel are once again God's people. More on that later. 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Verse 10. The disciples. The twelve. And also the 70 from Matthew 10 and also Luke 10. And I have no problem applying this spiritually to anybody that is saved today or will be saved tomorrow or forever. Those that are saved are spiritually enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. But here the Lord is speaking first and foremost through the multitude of people no doubt about that from verse 2 but directly he's speaking to the disciples from verse 10 17 makes that even clearer for verily i say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them ye always means plural in this context you twelve eighteen hear ye therefore the parable of the sower when any one heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart this is he which receives seed by the wayside but he that received the seed into stony places the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns, is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed into good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. There is a lot to say here, but uh, in reverse order, twenty-three. If the seed falls onto good ground, it is possible that somebody could bring forth fruit 100 fold now I believe that there have probably only been a handful of people that have come 
to experience this. Paul would be one. Some of the early church leaders, men perhaps like uh, George Kerry, perhaps David Brainard, and uh, maybe John Wesley and Charles Spurgeon, possibly, I don't know. But uh, for the most part, I think 60-fold or 30-fold is going to be a more realistic uh, understanding when it comes to how much fruit a person can bring forth. But here, it's clear, if you want to, you can bring forth 100% fruit, but of course it's going to cost you something. I also think it's worth highlighting the fact that it is always critical to preach the entire gospel to an unsaved party. Wesley said that if he had one hour with an open-minded unsaved party, he would spend 50 minutes on the law of God and the last 10 minutes at the cross. That way the unsaved party goes away with a clear, precise and honest presentation of the scripture. And if that person chooses to believe it and receive it, they will be saved. And according to this part of scripture, the seed has fallen in the right ground because the preparation was done faithfully by the evangelist. And therefore it is now down to the recipient to apply it correctly. However, if you preach half the gospel, if you focus primarily on the cross and only on the cross, if you are the type of person that says that God loves you, God has a wonderful plan for you, he wants you to be healthy and wealthy, then you haven't only robbed them, but you've also deceived them because you haven't given them the entire gospel. Yes, he loves you if you love his son, if you believe on his son. To bypass the law, to bypass the holiness, to bypass the judgment, of God is a travesty and that's why there are so many false converts in the world today that's why there are so many ex-Christians quote-unquote that are hurt that are on the internet that are doing the rounds that are wanting to be seen and heard and they cry out like a neglected baby and these people believe that they were once saved and have since come to their senses, quote-unquote. They were never saved to begin with. The Apostle John says they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out demonstrating that they were none of us. That's a permanent departure. That is apostasy with a capital A. And although we can be critical and we can be scornful of these people that seek to overthrow the faith of the simple, my feeling is that for the most part they were done a disservice by a liberal Christian. And it could even be by a well-intended Christian. Somebody might have tried to witness to a particular party and simply preach the love of Christ that's no good that will not work and when tribulation or persecution from 21 arises that party is offended now you can be temporarily offended Peter was temporarily offended 
but was restored later. Some of the greatest saints have been temporarily offended when persecution has arisen, but here this is talking about somebody whose foundation wasn't good, the root wasn't deep enough, the preparation hadn't been sufficient, hence why they become easily offended. 22 is also uh, critical to quickly uh, take a look at because you can become unfruitful through the deceitfulness of the world, the riches and all of the worldly interests. The Word of God says that we are to be in the world but not of the world. We are to love the world because the things of the world are temporary. We are to set our affections on things above not on the things here and now. We are to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Now saying that, let me say this, we can still appreciate some of the things that this world has to offer. We can appreciate some of the beauty, some of the nature that we witness, whether it's in the mountains or in parts of Canada or Norway or Africa, or the Middle East, we can appreciate all of nature's beauty, all of God's creation. We can also appreciate music to some extent, but the moment we love those things, and the word for love in Greek is agape, which is the strongest word in the Greek language, simply means to completely be in love with the world, then we are in a serious situation because the things of the world, as I say, are temporary, they are lustful, and if you are not careful, you could easily end up like Lot. Lot was a saved man, but he became lustful, he fell into that sin and lost his testimony, but was still saved. And I've said this so many times over the years, that as a saved person, you need to guard your testimony. You need to have the best possible walk with the Lord. You won't be sinless, you will always stumble, but the more you walk with him, the less worldliness that you allow your eyes to see and your ears to hear, the closer you will walk with the Lord and your sins will start to recede and you will have a much stronger walk, a greater relationship with the Lord. 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Tares, Old English for weeds. 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. In the tribulation, the guillotine is going to be re-implemented. Interesting that we find the word blade and guillotine, for me, comes directly to my mind. 27. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, 
lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. We find a similar picture found in John's Gospel, when John himself wants to call fire down from heaven to consume some of the unbelieving Samaritans. And the Lord said that he hadn't come to destroy man's life, but to save man's life. His first coming was to save the world. Even here, the wheat and the tares are growing side by side. And yet he says, don't pull them up, because if you pull the tares up, you will also pull the wheat up also, meaning that the tares and the wheat grow side by side. And it's not down to us, the church, to deal with the judgment pre its time. It will come when it comes. We are to be patient. We are to wait on the Lord. But the reapers will do what they need to do. And this is where you find the expression, the grim reaper, which is also angelic from verse 49. 31. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Birds, fowls, nearly always are types of unclean spirits. 33. Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away, and went into the house. And his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. They were the enlightened ones, and yet even at this time, they still needed their teacher to teach them what he had already spent the last 15, 20 minutes or so teaching to the people. As I say, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But he still loves his people. When the Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day, and he hates all workers of iniquity, that is completely true. But it also says, for God so loved the world, past tense, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves the world. He's given his Son for the world. But until you receive the Son, you remain an enemy of wicked works. You remain a worker of iniquity. And God is angry with you every day. So there is no contradiction in Scripture. And as I've said so many times, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He came to his own. He preached to everybody. He preached to crowds like nobody ever did. And within those crowds, there would have been 
perhaps a handful of people at any given event that heard, believed, received, got saved, continued on in his word. The Bible says, you are my disciple if you continue on in my word. And for those people, this is really aimed at them. But for the rest, they fall by the wayside. And the God of this world, lowercase g, i.e. the devil, comes and takes from their heart what they have already heard because their heart wasn't right to begin with. 37. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. Again, reaper, the grim reaper. But here, these are God's servants that are going to be sent to separate the wheat from the tares. And Matthew 25 is another good cross-reference to this. And like I said, there's so much meat in this chapter that I could spend perhaps two or three hours walking through this chapter. But I don't have the time, so I will continue on. 40. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. First death, I believe. Luke 16 tells us what the first death consists of. 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. This could also be applied to the great white throne when the names are read out and those names that are found in the book of life go into eternity with the Lord and those whose names are not found go into the lake of fire which is a second death. But my main understanding, my main feeling, my main interpretation of this would be in reference to the first death and Matthew 25 is a good place to go as I say for the cross reference 44 again the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field the which when a man hath found he hideth and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath and buyeth that field again the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea, and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and sat down, and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth, and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. End of the world could be a reference to the end of the tribulation, the end of the final dispensation as we know it, and then the thousand year millennial reign is initiated, which will be another world. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. So I don't want to look beyond this dispensation and try and get into putting this into a post-millennial dispensation and I also believe 
and I should have said this perhaps from the beginning of 13, that this can have application to us living today. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same, but there's two aspects, there's a physical and a spiritual realm, which I've said also repeatedly. So here the kingdom of heaven is being cited, and this has, I believe, a reference to a spiritual kingdom, the preaching of the gospel. It's foolishness to those that don't believe, but to those that do believe, it is a power of salvation. Just a quick abbreviation, but for me, I will apply this spiritually to people living today during the church age. Although the Lord is speaking to the people of Israel, and some of my full dispensational friends will disagree with me, that is their choice. I am a semi-dispensationalist, and therefore for me, I will retain my position that we can easily apply this chapter to those living today. 51. Jesus saith unto them, the disciples, Have ye understood all these things? They say unto him, Yea, Lord. Then said he unto them, Therefore every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure things new and old. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these parables, he departed thence. And when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished, and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom, and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and his brethren James and Josie, and Simon, and Judas, and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honour, save in his own country, and in his own house. And he did not many mighty works there, because of their unbelief. They wouldn't come to him, they wouldn't humble themselves, they wouldn't believe that he was the Messiah just because he had been raised among them, just because they knew his brothers, just because they knew his stepfather, just because they knew his mother, didn't mean he wasn't the Messiah. And therefore, because they wouldn't come to him, they wouldn't humble themselves to be healed by somebody that they had been raised with, that they had gone to the synagogue with, therefore they wouldn't come to be healed, and Christ was unable to heal them. Again, the blame is put on the recipient, it's their responsibility to come to be healed, but by their lack of faith, their refusal to bend the knee, they're easily being offended, which we saw back in verse 21. They didn't get the spiritual healing, which they needed, and they didn't get the physical healing, which they also wanted.